Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Remy Battery, family owned and operated since 1931, serving Milwaukee along with Escanaba and Houghton, Michigan. Let's start something, RemyBattery.com. By the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation, grassroots hunting and angling conservationists dedicated to the future of fish, wildlife, clean water, and healthy habitat, WIWF.org. And by the Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association, 60 square miles of fun on the water, castlerock-petenwell.com. I'm Dan Small, another great show in store for you, so stay right there. Time now for Madison Outdoors, and this is a feature you hear every week at this time on WTSO, the Big 1070, and on our podcast anytime, wherever you get your podcasts, LakeLink, iHeartRadio, and several other platforms as well. Joining us once again is Pat Hasberg. He's the owner of DNS Bait, Tackle, and Fly Shop on Madison's north side on Northport Drive, and his website is dsbait.com, and he posts a weekly fishing report every Friday at DNS Bait and Tackle on Facebook. And if you are wondering who this guy is, well, you haven't been paying too much attention because he's the new owner of DNS Bait. Gene has retired, but Pat has uh, picked up where Gene left off, and he's got a great um, a great thing going there, and his reports are uh, very detailed, so very interesting. Well, Pat, thanks so much for joining us again. Hey, Dan, thanks for having me. You bet. Now, before we get into a fishing report, i got to comment on your picture of a handful of uh, baby crawlers uh, that you posted on Facebook. That generated a lot of response, didn't it? Aren't they adorable? They're just, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe it's a face only a mother could love, but uh, yeah. when you're in the bait business, you know, you, you, you just love seeing stuff like that. So, yeah, just cute little miniature crawlers, essentially. Yeah, now, are they a different breed, or are they crawlers that would grow up to be big crawlers, or what? Yep, yeah, they're just juvenile crawlers, and uh, they work great. Uh, perch people love them out there on the Mississippi, you know, because it's, it's all the... Well, this time of year, you know, a, a smaller presentation is what you're looking for. Bigger things are the water's still cold, so big big presentations aren't as effective. So this gives you all the all the effectiveness of a crawler, but it's a, a smaller bite. And uh, yeah, perch fishermen really love them, and uh, the walleyes uh, like them, and crappies. Anything that's going right now is uh, really liking the baby crawlers. Yeah, interesting. Now they remind me of. Uh, the worms that we used to dig. I, I've been a trout fisherman most of my life, as I know you are. And sure. way back when uh, we wrapped them on the head and dropped them in the creel, we did a lot of bait fishing. And I used, um, we used to call them cherry reds. <laughs> and they were little red, and they might have been baby crawlers, I don't know. But they were not the red worms, or the tiny ones that you that you also sell. But we would dig them in the leaf litter behind my grandmother's house, and we'd keep them in a, uh, we had a, an old, uh, boy, I think it was a box made just for that, and you had to uh, keep changing the uh, the litter, and we put coffee grounds in there because that was supposedly good for them to eat, and uh, cornmeal, and picked out the yeah. dead ones and threw them away, but boy, they were deadly, and I'm sure they still are, on trout and virtually anything else that swims. Yeah, definitely. Uh, those those may have been leaf worms or, or, or the we sell big reds here as well, so they weren't—they're not like the tiny red worms you were talking about. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah they could have been leaf worms, and yeah, very deadly for trout. Although, of course, uh, got to say that uh, you know, trout season is in the early catch and release season right now, so no, no live bait is allowed for trout right now. But uh, they are very effective for trout, yep, too, yep, as well yep. as panfish. Yep, we got another month to wait for uh, for catch and keep and uh, and using live bait on trout. So, um, right. other bait you have, you've got suckers in uh, for uh, cat fishermen. It's a little early for muskie anglers yet. That's right. Yeah, yeah muskie's not open, but uh, catfishers are coming in and grabbing suckers, and they use those mostly just for cut bait on the bottom. Uh, uh-huh. But we have we have medium shiners that uh, cat fishermen also used to use, like to use, and, uh, of course, jumbo walleye shiners. Uh, uh, fatheads for the river, 
which is also starting to heat up here, literally, with the slightly warmer temperatures last week. Things got cooled down on the rivers, but uh, this week they seem to be picking up a little bit, and the, those big females should be moving in pretty soon here. This week or next, it's got to got to happen here soon. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, so not a lot of walleye action yet. What's going on on the Madison chain? I looked at your latest uh, fishing report, and you're focusing on pretty much the bays and the uh, shallow uh, inlets and, and so on in the park lagoons. That's right. You're going to want to look uh, for any shallow water. Uh, that's the water that's going to warm up first, and that's where those panfish are looking to get in, and they feel, you know, just like any of us, feel a little more comfortable in water that's just slightly warmer. So you look for any shallow water and shallow bays, particularly uh, south-facing uh, shorelines, those are going to get sun all day long, so that's going to be a good good spot. But yeah, any little shallow bays are the ones that are, attract the fish first this time of year. But uh, other other than that, there's a, a pretty good crappie bite. The crappies are in their kind of pre-spawn stage right now, where they're starting to bulk up, and uh, we get, they're getting crappies a few places around town here on the north side here on at, by Church or 113 Bridge and Naughty Gal and that area. We're getting some. Uh, Good crappies in there, and also down in Monona Bay along the train tracks and the triangles have been good for crappies. Uh-huh. Okay. What do you hear on uh, the lower lakes? Well, uh, you know, I haven't, uh, I'll be honest, I haven't heard much. Uh, you know, there have been a few people that are getting out in, in some of that shallower water and picking off a few bluegills that are moving up in there and some early crappies and even a few bass. I, I had one guy who uh, was claiming he caught, uh, he was catching bass on uh, top water. Huh. The other day, yeah. yeah, just moving it real slow and a real small little popper, but he, he said he was getting the to go after that, so hmm. they're out there. Yeah, okay. Well, um, trout fishing is open. We touched on that at the beginning here, but um, it's catch and release now. What are you hearing, or what have you seen if you've been out yourself? Well, I, I was out, uh, let's see, on Sunday, and it was... A nice day to be out in the morning. The clouds moved in the afternoon, and that cooled things down. The wind picked up a little bit, and uh, the trout seemed to shut off, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but around the area, I've been hearing good, uh, good reports from uh, fly anglers that are using streamers. I haven't heard much from any on any dry fly action, no, no bugs hatching. Uh, and, of course, uh, the spin uh, anglers are doing well with um, a slower presentation you know uh, tube jigs are good this time of year uh, black and uh, darker colors are good because you know a lot of times the streams can be a little cloudy but uh, they're getting fish and, and they're out there and, and this uh, you know now that with all the snow melt being gone things are going to kind of stabilize in the creeks and I think we're going to have uh, you know the action is going to be picking up all around uh, Dane County here pretty soon. Okay do you venture over this way? I'm in the Driftless area, uh, you know, a little west, about 100 miles west of you. Um, do, sure. you get, do you get over here much? I do. Um, I'm personally, I'm more of a, I'm a fan of the southern uh, Driftless. So if you draw a line from Madison out to Fenimore or Madison past Fenimore, that's that's my territory. But uh, of course, you know, you got all those where you're at is just. I mean, you could throw a rock in just about any direction and probably land in a, in a class one trout stream yeah, out there. It's, yeah. really, it's really a beautiful area, and all those streams are, are, I'm sure, fishing really well right now. Yeah, I've heard I've heard some reports. Most people are pretty tight-mouthed about it, but, you know, that's the way it yeah. goes. Uh, so you like uh, the Green River, Blue River, uh, Castle Rock Creek, and that area? Yep. Yep, you're right. Yeah, those are those are kind of my home waters. I have family out that way and kind of grew up in that area, so that's that's my home waters. That that's where I spend a lot of my time. But uh, you know those those areas up you know around Avalanche and uh, Verroqua, of course, are just uh, you know yep. ground zero as far as yep. uh, trout action yep. goes. Yep, we've definitely got. You know, speaking of uh, the area you like and. Um, a lot of that's catch and release, or at least on Castle Rock it is, isn't it? Some of it. Now, they changed that regulation just uh, recently. There's there's still some catch and release areas uh, and artificial only areas, but a lot of that, uh, that was, I think it's really just a section that's maybe a uh, half mile long, if I had to estimate. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's not a, a huge section of the stream like it used to be. But, uh-huh. uh, okay. Yeah. 
And yeah. that, that, that stream produces some big fish, or at least it used to historically. I don't know if it still does. It sure does. And, and you know, it doesn't get the pressure that it, it, uh, it used to get. I feel like uh, generally the crowds have uh, migrated actually up into more into your neck of the yeah, woods. Well, that we, way. Yeah. Barocco and that is, is really a very popular area for people to go. And, yep. you know, as somebody, as somebody that's fished, uh, you know, the blue and the castle rock areas my whole life, I, you know, I, I don't mind seeing fewer anglers <laughs> on the creeks. <laughs> I, I believe that. Yeah. So, all right, before yeah. we let you go, your hours. Uh, we are open, uh, eight to six right now, uh, on Monday through Thursday and six to six Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So, uh, but that, those hours will be changing once the, Regular fishing season opens back up on May 7th. We'll be going back to 6 to 6 every day. All right. Well, Pat, thanks so much. We'll catch up with you again in a few weeks uh, when the water warms up and the bite improves. Thanks, Dan. It's always a pleasure. You bet. Pat Hesberg, uh, owner of DNS Bait Tackle and Fly Shop on Madison's north side with the Madison Outdoors Report. I'm Dan Small. More Outdoors Radio right after this. If you're ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupe and Abraham, named best personal injury law firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. In fact, um, I already read that. <laughs> call the firm, voted best and rated best, Hupe and Abraham, 800 800-5678 or visit com. And all 11 offices of Hupe and Abraham are open for business. Well, that's what live reads are like, folks. And joining me once again for a live uh, conversation from his home in Wisconsin Rapids is Jeff Kelm. I'm leaving off the hard water moniker for now because I think that's all done, right? <laughs> it, it is for me. I know there's still folks actually in northern Wisconsin that are yeah. still on the ice, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't been for a while and and won't be until next, uh, next winter. Hmm. All right. Well, so what have you been doing? Well, we, you know, we, I got, I, I, I wanted to see if Robert would be ready for the youth turkey hunt here yeah. this weekend, um, yeah. and and even a, a, a period uh, later on in the year. I, I don't, I don't know for quite there yet. He's, he's pretty jumpy, even with the four ten in a brace, um, mm-hmm. and so it's going to take practice, and we are going to be practicing, um, and uh, you know, but he's, he's nine. He's, yeah. you know, I mean, it. We have lots of time to get a chance yeah. to do this, yeah. and I'm comfortable with him spending that time and practicing and not forcing him to go and do things. You know, he it was his idea. I want to get a tag. I want to try this. And as we sat down, it's just not quite right, and he understands it. He's okay with that. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm okay with that as well. So, uh, uh, right now, I'm I'm kind of turning my attention to making sure I got beehives ready and. Um, uh, that uh, that season is uh, kind of upon us here as we start finally looking forward to some warmer spring weather. Yeah, it is on the way. They keep promising, and then we get it, <laughs> and we lose it again. So, yeah. well, you know, just a comment about you and Robert and your uh, his development as uh, as a shooter and eventually as a hunter. Um, I applaud you. I think you're doing the right thing. Some dads would you know, drag a kid out there and say, you're going to shoot a bird so I can take your picture with that bird, you know, and so on, or a deer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if he's just not quite ready, uh, you know, he'll let you know when he's ready. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, you know, we, 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 we want to do things the right way. Yeah. I don't want him, ha- I don't want him disliking things because I did something, you know, I forced oh, yeah. him to do something, you oh, know? Yeah. And so, um, if, if, you know, ultimately, Dan, if it comes out of all of this, he goes into adulthood and he doesn't enjoy hunting. I don't feel like I did anything wrong, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but uh, if he looks at it and goes, because you did this, Dad, I did, yeah. you know, that's yeah. what I didn't, I wouldn't want, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we'll see, uh, see how he develops and, sure. uh, you know, we'll keep tabs on him for sure. Well, as everybody knows, last Friday was April Fool's Day. And since we record early, we missed a few surprises, and there's three I want to just mention. They're on my Facebook page. If anybody cares anymore about April Fool's, the bogus wolverine sighting in northern Minnesota. That was a picture of a fisher, and they they had a great story, but, you know, it was clearly bogus. 
the new product from Berkeley, a power bait scented noodling glove. Did, what did you think of that? I saw that. It was great. I was, oh, that was so awesome. I wanted one of those. And you know what? I, I've got a name for it if they ever bring it on the market. Power Grab. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I, I should That's share awesome. that with him. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, my favorite, though, was the kangaroo, the, um, uh, they had a name for it, um, antelopine kangaroo release in Wyoming. Oh, yes. Yeah, and it was straight. There was no bogus name, you know, like uh, uh, a fake name or uh, uh, or any giveaway and no disclaimer at the end. So that was a great one. So, folks, uh, check them out. Uh, somebody spends way too much company time on those kinds of things. <laughs> but anyway, well, folks, uh, you can make a difference spending time uh, to help the future of hunting, fishing, and healthy habitat by joining the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation, WIWF.org. Add your support to one of the most active and growing grassroots networks right here in Wisconsin. The Wildlife Federation welcomes individuals, businesses, clubs, alliances, any kind of group who wants to do what's right for fish, wildlife, and the people who rely on access to these healthy natural resources. Join today at WIWF.org. And by the way, Jeff, I will be at their annual meeting uh, in Rapids uh, Saturday, and that's tonight for most listeners. And then I'll be uh, seeing you on Sunday to pick up the uh, the trailer and the Honda. Mm-hmm. And I'll bring you some wool for those beehives. So Yeah, insulated beehives. Maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that sometime. Yeah, absolutely. I want to see how that works out. Well, coming up, folks, Barbara Baker, owner of Country Cruising Canoes and Kayaks on the Lemonware River, is going to talk about uh, the impact of recent floods in the last few years on the Lemonware and her business. And we'll kick things off with outdoor writer and blogger Patrick Durkin, talking about next Monday's Wisconsin Conservation Congress spring hearings and encouraging you to attend and vote. All that and more straight ahead on Outdoors Radio. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nesita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the ruffed grouse and American woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Rough Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN-RGS. April showers bring new Rapala rain gear. Hey, I'm Tony Roach with Rapala. When I'm on the water, I wear my Rapala rain gear, and I say, let it rain. Just in time for spring, we're teaming up with the Outdoor News to give away the best rain gear in the industry. Between now and the end of April, you can win a full set of Rapala Rain or Rapala Rain Pro gear. We will give away four full sets per week in April. To enter, just click on the contest tab at OutdoorNews.com. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. The Wisconsin Conservation Congress annual meeting and the Fish and Game Spring hearings are virtual again this year. And they'll last for three days, starting Monday, April 11th at 7 p.m. And joining me now to talk about the hearings 
is Patrick Durkin. He's a well-known outdoor writer, blogger, and columnist. His column appears in Wisconsin Outdoor News and daily papers around the state. Uh, He's been uh, on our show before, and he's a regular contributor to a number of archery and hunting magazines and uh, also the wildlife research contributing writer for MeatEater.com, which arguably might give him the biggest platform he's he's got or has had. We can ask him about that. He's also uh, on the Meat Eater podcast from time to time, and you also hear him on public radio on the Larry Mueller Show with Tim Isley and Dean Bortz. They get together once in a while. And you can read his work and his blog and, and uh, learn more about him at Patrick Durkin outdoors.com. Well, Pat, thanks for joining us again, and welcome back to Outdoors Radio. Thanks for having me back on, Dan. I appreciate it. You bet. Hey, does the um, uh, Meat Eater blog give you as big a platform as I'm suggesting it does? I I assume it does. You know, I've I've never um, gotten a good handle of what their readership is off their website, but I know... um, you know, American Hunter Magazine, the NRA's magazine, I've been writing for them almost 20 years, and that's a pretty big audience, too. But yes. I have to say that Meat Eaters probably, without a doubt, my most regular um, high, high, um, they call high visibility platform. And I hear, I definitely get more feedback off of Meat Eaters stuff than I do anything else I write. Except for days a few years ago when I was in a lot of the bigger newspapers in Wisconsin, I used to get a lot, a lot of feedback off that. But, um, Newspapers, as you know, I've been um, not not getting those kind of numbers anymore. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, well, we could go on about that, but we really want to talk about the spring <laughs> hearing. So, um, yeah, for people who don't really know or kind of foggy on what this is all about, uh, can you give us uh, kind of the elevator pitch? What are the spring hearings? The spring hearings, you know, they're held statewide. Traditionally, were held statewide. In every county in the state, we take you know, we used to gather like in high school auditoriums and you know back before the days of COVID. And uh, one thing I remember from back in the '80s, covering them, covering these meetings back in the '80s, I remember the, the discussions were you tell how our state culture has changed a little bit because back then they made sure they started them around seven o'clock because they want to make sure that the farmers could get get into those hearings after they got their cows milked. Uh-huh. And when they're, they tried holding them one year a little bit earlier, and there was a big outcry about the dairy farmers couldn't get into the, the, the meetings because you know, they were being held too soon, after, you know, too soon in the day. So they moved them back to like 7 o'clock at night. But but that's kind of, I think, one of the cool things about them, you know, this democratic process. And I think it's a regular reminder to all of us that, um, that if you want to participate in the public forums, the public debates, you can do that. It doesn't guarantee you'll like the outcome, but at least you can have your um, your voice heard and give your comments and step in the public arena and, and give a few thoughts at times and then vote on it at the end. And another fun thing, and I'm kind of glad it's gone away, though, was that it wasn't that long ago where uh, to vote, you just raised your hand and they go around and count your hands and then do, and tabulate the results. But now it's all done by um, ballot and um, a little more, I'd say, professional, like um, like you would in a voting booth. And now the last, I think the last three years, maybe four years, uh, three years for sure, I think, um, it's been um, online. So you just basically log on during that three-day period and and vote. Uh-huh. Now there are more than 40 questions there. Uh, we can't obviously can't get to all of them. There's a couple from the Natural Resources Board that I do want to get to, but before we do that, what are some that stood out in your mind as uh, some that'll uh, draw interest, and and what do you think about them? Yeah, a couple of them that jumped on me right away just because they've been um, they've been sore sore points among the hunting community for the last few years now. And um, one of these questions from the from the Congress Congress Contribution Congress itself asked if we should reinstate in-person deer registration and bring back the deer carcass tag. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the conservation wardens, too, have not liked this idea of not having carcass tags, and, and you know, so that's going to come up for a vote. And then there's also the one that um, is kind of being toyed with a little bit this year in, in the legislature, and, and the hunter education people came out strongly against this idea in the legislature, but they want to make sure that we maintain the in-person, hands-on hunter education training uh-huh. to make sure that people um, getting getting the training, you know, they make a good, good point that things like gun safety 
gun handling, that's something that you can't really learn a lot online. You can learn a lot of basics, but it comes down to actually showing some of the, that you understand that different operating parts of a gun and, and how to hold a gun and be safe with a gun, a, a rifle, shotgun. Um, it's, you still need that in-person in person help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. I think that's an important uh, uh, feature of a hunter education, and I'd hate to see it go away, um, especially for young people. I you know I don't know if it's really critical for a thirty five year old, but if he's never handled a gun, you know, it's probably a yeah. good idea. Yeah. Um, and there was yeah. um, there there's a question about uh, antlerless tag um, prices going up uh, to to pay for dumpsters. Tell us about that one. Yeah. You know, for, for um, a number of years now, I actually I think it's a little confusing. We have bonus tags um, that sell for twelve dollars, but also in areas like in the CWD counties, we get basically give away the ambulance tags. And, and this uh, proposal suggests that we just um, lower the price from twelve dollars to maybe eight dollars or ten dollars, and, and put a price tag on all ambulance tags, and then put that money toward um, a statewide dumpster program where people have a, a dumpster halfway conveniently located so everyone in the state can take their carcasses when they're done butchering their animals or whatever it might be and put them in a in a good a good place and not just dump them alongside the road somewhere like too often gets done mm-hmm. that's been you know i think we've seen in the cwd counties where they have dumpsters like a richland colony and sock colony where they have a lot of quite a few out there now from people volunteering to, to, to maintain them, um, you're seeing a good response from people. They like having a place to, to take the carcass and, and drop it off and have, have knowing that it'll go to a, a, a landfill and, and get, get these bones off the landscape. So this, this um, initiative they're talking about would, like I say, we, they'd still be arguing and discussing whether that the price, what the price should be, but probably bring it down from twelve dollars into uh, you know like a little bit more reasonable fee of eight dollars, you know, compromise and and see what that does and see if that can fund that kind of um, that kind of program. Yeah, yeah, we've got uh, I don't know how many dumpsters we have in Vernon County, but there's one at our uh, county landfill, uh, and it says deer bones only, and you know that's where we take yeah. ours. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of bones. Um, Wanton waste is an issue that we've never really looked at here in Wisconsin, but there are laws in other states uh, against wasting game, aren't there? Yeah, you know, um, I, this this one, you know, I think I like to think, Dan, that in 40 years of covering the outdoor issues, I'm fairly conversant on things, and so I was, I was surprised to read this question and see that Wisconsin does, does that have, does not have a specific law that forbids the wanton waste of game animals. And so um, this question tries to correct that, where we would crack down and put it in writing that you can't just kill a deer or other wildlife and let it go to waste. You have to put it to use. And, and I, I, I didn't, I'm not sure where this will all end up, but I thought, well, if that's the case, we should also make that apply to um, uh, fur bearers, too, and not just, you know, um, game animals that, that, we, that we eat the meat off of. Mm-hmm. So, that, that that's a that's a really I thought it, I, that's that's I think one of the cool things about this um, process is that someone out there is asking these questions and bringing us up you know making us realize we don't don't have all our bases covered all the time. Yeah, well, Pat, that's what I think would cover that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, we got to take a break here. Will you stay with us? And uh, we got a sure. lot more of these questions we can talk about. Okay. Well, folks, I'm talking with uh, outdoor writer and blogger Pat Durkin, and we will be back right after this. You're listening to Outdoors Radio. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small.
Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. Dan Small here. I'm talking with outdoor writer and blogger Patrick Durkin about the Wisconsin Conservation Congress spring hearings and uh, meeting. They have an annual meeting. It's uh, open to the public. And it's been virtual for a couple of years, and it's virtual again this year. It is April 11th, next Monday night at 7 p.m., and it goes for several days, I think three days uh, starting then. And there are a lot of questions. You can go on the DNR website and just search Spring Hearings, and you'll find three pages of questions proposed by the Natural Resources Board, the DNR, and by the Conservation Congress itself. And we're kind of uh, skipping around here and looking at a few questions. We talked about a couple of hunting questions um, a few minutes ago, but uh, just a couple more. And, Pat... Um, uh, regulating hunting contests? What do you think of that one? It'll be interesting, Dan. You know, with um, we've been regulating uh, fishing contests for I think a few decades now. Yeah. You know, and and we actually have annual reports that DNR compiles on how many fishing contests are out there, and they're actually I think doing some fine tuning on 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 those um, on that compilation now on, on what what. You know, qualifies as a fishing contest, and you know it'll be interesting to see how, where this goes because we never really um, have felt the need to do one on, on hunting contests, and I I think that's because typically they've been um, pretty low key events, and typically they're just done out of you know taverns and bars, and, and we don't get a big number of people involved. Whereas in these fishing tournaments, as you know, they they can be huge. You, know, mm-hmm. you get um, pros coming in from all over the country to fish them. Where I just have never, I guess I'm not aware of anything really going on in Wisconsin that attracts people from out of state to come in for these, for these um, whether they're, um, like Doug Duran last year had a, a doe um, contest basically during the CWD hunt down in, in, in um, Richland County during, actually it was during that uh, antlerless hunt in December. Mm-hmm. Um, you see different ones for, for coyotes, different ones for, um, I think it's basically coyotes I'm aware of. Well, I, then, I, like I, say, I, I know of at least one right. rabbit hunt where they, uh, yeah, you yeah, know, they, right. they weigh right. the three, hev- you know, the three heaviest rabbits. Well, you know, the, the yeah. rabbits don't weigh, there's not a lot of difference. But, yeah. you know, it's a fundraiser in that case. I don't know about yeah. the coyote hunts. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, I'm not aware, Dan, of, of, of um, consistent disruptions of other people's recreation where, you know, with fishing contests, you definitely get some uh, competition at the boat ramp and other places, uh, popular fishing areas during a, on the weekend of a of a big tournament. But I'm really not aware of anything being disrupted by these local fish, these local hunting contests. So I guess it'd be interesting to see where this one goes. You know, if it gets the positive vote, um, if there's really a, a real need for it, if we're going to learn anything by having the DNR track these things and, and regulate them. Uh-huh. Well, we'll we'll find out. And um, yeah. let's see, one, two quick ones. Uh, slingshots for small game. Uh, I didn't know they were not legal. <laughs> well, I was I was um, interested to read in the in the background information on that question that there's apparently 33 states where they're spelled right out that they're legal. Yeah. And and I tell you, I haven't shot a slingshot myself. You know, I'm probably 50, over 50 years. <laughs> And I don't, but I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, that we've made some advances in technology, but I know in my case, I wouldn't be a person out there looking to use one. But I tell you, though, I, just, I do know other people who are good at that kind of stuff that they probably enjoy the recreation. And, and you know, small game hunting isn't what it used to be when I was a kid. So I, I, I don't know, but if it gets a few more people out there, and we can do it responsibly. I guess I don't have a, have a real problem with that. It'll be interesting to see where how people vote us on that. Yeah, it, it will. Uh, you know, I can see uh, sitting in your bow stand or even during rifle season uh, and and uh, a few ball bearings and an old whammo slingshot, and you can put a couple squirrels in the pot if you're if you're not uh, careless enough to lose your focus on deer. You know, but uh, anyway, right. and, and one more one more hunting one. Um, Airbow and air gun. I've actually been a proponent of this for a number of years. I spoke to the uh, uh, legislative committee um, several years ago when it first came up. Um, and here it is uh, on the, the fishing game uh, the spring hearing. So um, 
in my book, it's another opportunity, uh, like crossbows, uh, for people to to hunt um, uh, a different weapon. Um, it's a quiet weapon, obviously. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I like the fact in this case they, um, they I think they designate that this would be something you could add to your um, choices during the firearms, you know, regular firearms deer season. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I'm not sure if they specified or mentioned it might be for the muzzleloading too. But it, I you know, like when I've seen that what they call air bows. I don't know how that qualifies. Well, I know, and I know from the manufacturer standpoint, the archery industry was always adamantly opposed to the um, this one device being called an air bow because it's basically shooting an arrow, you know, from a pressurized tube. Yeah. And, yeah. they, and their their definition of archery equipment is stuff that's you know drawn with a string where you're bending limbs and then propelling the arrow you know from the from the energy stored in those limbs, not not from a separate air cartridge. Yeah. So um, I, I think you'd have a hard time getting that one through into the archery season, but I can see where I think it might be kind of fun if you don't mind limiting yourself to the short range of those of those um, devices to try it during the gun season. Yeah. Yeah, um, I saw uh, Jim Shockey shoot uh, a bison. I can't remember now whether it was an air rifle or an air bow, <laughs> and I'm sure uh, somebody yeah. knows. Um, uh, he had a video of it, and you know, with the right size, the right caliber, and the right uh, foot poundage uh, behind a, an air rifle. And folks, his, history buffs might remember that um, the Lewis and Clark expedition had an air rifle. They had a pneumatic rifle that took them forever to pump it up but they really impressed a lot of natives uh, by shooting they were plinking uh, they didn't have tin cans and uh and bottles to shoot at like we do you know sure uh but um uh they 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 impressed the uh indians by shooting with this quiet weapon and they killed big game yeah. with it and, and they fed themselves so uh, it's it's not new ah. it's not new well listen yeah. um yeah. two big questions the Natural Resources Board uh, has proposed two questions, and I know you've got an opinion on, on one of them, maybe the other one, too. Um, one question uh, requests that the DNR review the crossbow harvest again, and I, I emphasize again because it's been done recently, um, and I know you've written about that one. What's your take on that? Yeah, well, back um, three years ago, DNR um, did a really comprehensive study on crossbow impacts on, on deer hunting. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and I think it showed that, yeah, people have um, taken up the crossbow in pretty good numbers. And there's some guys even um, kind of giving up the gun season to hunt the earlier time period with the crossbow because it's warmer. Mm-hmm. And you look at the numbers on that, that, as I recall, the study was pretty convincing that, some people are doing that because in, in these cases, you know, they're um, they're getting older and they don't like care to be sitting out in the cold woods later in the season. And so they made the switch. And I think the, the report they did was pretty comprehensive. I mean, it was like, uh, God, they involved like eight different DNR employees on it. They oversampled way beyond the scientific um, methodology needed to get a good read on, on what Wisconsin hunters are thinking. And... But the, um, the board chairman, um, Greg Kazmierski, thinks that you know, having a bad effect on the, on the gun season and is making claims that I frankly think he can't back up that somehow this is um, hurting gun season. And I think, well, you know, you're, you're giving people a choice here and what they want to do and, and how they want to shoot a deer, hunt a deer. I don't have a problem with letting them decide on their own um, when and where they want to hunt. You know, this is this is um, a good recreation. If they want, if they if they want to limit themselves to hunting just the archery season, there's no law against that. And I, I just don't think we should be trying to force people into these various hunting seasons. I, I kind of like the system we have, and I, I, unless you can show me where this is really causing a problem, you can actually show that it's somehow hurting something. I, I think it'd be best to leave that one alone, especially when you think we just did this survey three years ago, and I doubt attitudes have changed that quickly over the last few years that uh, require the DNR go out and basically repeat something they just got done doing. Yeah, 
Yeah, okay. Well, and uh, last one I'll ask you about, because we don't have uh, all day <laughs> to talk about these uh, okay. questions. Uh, the, okay. uh, again, Natural Resources Board is proposing that the DNR undertake a two-year pilot project to test if offering uh, an incentive payment to landowners and hunters for CWD-positive deer, if that'll help reduce uh, the spread and the prevalence of CWD. What's your take on that one? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is an idea that I think was brought up about three years ago by a former um, DNR biologist, Mike Foy. He called it payments for positives. Yeah. And... The question, and I think this um, board member, Marcy West, understands this question real well, that the question here is, what, you know, at what point can you change hunters' behavior um, and it, with money? And mm. how high, how much money do you need to inspire people to get out there and hunt more often, shoot more deer, bring more deer in, and then um, occasionally kill a deer that's got CWD and get, and get, get a um, financial reward for it? Plus, um, pay the, the landowner for that deer too. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it sounds reasonable to me to to look into it and put together a, a two-year plan, put some money aside, and see if it really does. If you can alter hunter behavior enough to make a difference, because you know that's the thing we've been struggling with with CWD is getting people out there to shoot enough deer to, to actually manage the population and hopefully uh, manage the disease at some point. Right now, that's not happening. Yep. Well, Pat, um, listen, we covered a lot of ground here. There's a lot more. <laughs> there are more than 40 questions uh, and some that we didn't have time to talk about, a number of fishing questions, uh, uh, making the musky season statewide, making burbot uh, a yeah. game fish. You you like that one. I do, too. Uh, they're good to eat. Yeah. But uh, we're going to let people find out more by researching this on their own. And in um, uh, going to the hearings uh, virtually Monday night, uh, starting at seven o'clock. So thanks so much for talking with us, and uh, we'll uh, we'll keep in touch, and we'll have you on again. Thanks, Dan. You bet, Patrick Durkin, outdoor writer and blogger. His website is patrickdurkinoutdoors.com, and as we mentioned, the spring hearings. Start Monday, April 11th at 7 p.m. You can learn more on the DNR website. Just type in the keywords, Spring Hearings. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Rough Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN-RGS. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. As Remy Battery enters the 90th anniversary of our company, we want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the years. Thank you for your continued support to our local, family-owned company. We invite you to our newly remodeled Milwaukee retail store on the corner of 43rd Street and Lincoln Avenue. We have batteries from the largest military crafts to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or the waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414 384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. April showers bring new Rapala rain gear. Hey, I'm Tony Roach with Rapala. When I'm on the water, I wear my Rapala rain gear and I say, let it rain. Just in time for spring, we're teaming up with the Outdoor News to give away the best rain gear in the industry. Between now and the end of April, you can win a full set of Rapala Rain or Rapala Rain Pro gear. We will give away four full sets per week in April. To enter, just click on the contest tab at OutdoorNews.com. 
Get outside and let us be your guide. Lawrence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for a safe Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 miles of wooded ATV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to hike to, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to the ExploreFlorenceCounty.com lodging, dining, and recreation tabs to plan your trip. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. The Wisconsin Wildlife Federation is a group of grassroots conservation organizations and individuals dedicated to the future of fish, wildlife, clean water, and healthy habitat. Their website is wiwf.org. And over the next several months, we'll be talking with people from all over Wisconsin about their experiences with recent severe weather events. And joining us now to do just that and to kick off our series of reports from Juneau County and our returning sponsor, the Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association, is Barbara Baker. She's the president of the Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association and executive director of Juneau County Visitors Bureau. And she also is the owner of Country Cruisin' Kayaks and Canoes, a business on the Lemonware River in Mauston. You can check them out uh, online. Check out the uh, Lakes Association at Castle Rock dash petenwell.com and if you happen to pick up a lakes map um, at either the milwaukee sports show or the open season sportsman's expo from my booth there uh, you can find uh, information on all the uh, activities in the area plus uh, barbara's business country cruising kayaks and canoes is mentioned in that map in that uh, brochure so uh, barbara welcome back and thanks for joining us well, you're very welcome, Dan, and I hope that you're having a wonderful Wisconsin day. Well, it's always a beautiful day here in Wisconsin, except when we have severe weather events. <laughs> um, well, we need to talk about that a little bit, don't we? Yeah, we do, and, you know, we're delighted to have uh, you folks back on board again this year. Let's start off by talking about your business, Country Cruising Kayaks and Canoes. What exactly do you offer? I offer three different trips mainly um, on the Lemonware River because that flows southeasterly right through Juneau County down to the Wisconsin River. And the three popular trips, um, there's a couple-hour paddle, and then there's a five- to seven-hour paddle, and then you can also add a couple hours to that and end up down on the Wisconsin River. I have a shuttle service, and so if people do have their own um, watercraft, uh, I do shuttle. So that's another service that is available. And I do all of my uh, trips and shuttling by appointment only. And it's my phone number, that my business phone number that they need to call. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you what that is at 608-548-4288. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're always happy to get a call. We do groups. We do school class trips and things like that in addition to just someone who wants to come out and leisurely travel along um, the river. Most of the river banks themselves are heavily wooded. There are some farmland that you will see. There's also a few places that uh, have some housing, but most of the time it's nature at its best stand. You can catch deer um, out watering. We have eagles, uh, many types of water birds, and if people are fisher persons, there's a great opportunity because we do have wonderful fishing on the Lemonware River. Uh-huh. Okay. We're focusing on the impact of severe weather events on recreation and businesses related to recreation. You've had some experiences that um, you'd like to share with us there uh, in your area, haven't you, in recent years? In the past, I would say 10 years especially, I've seen much more damaging flooding Uh, more damage with the wind as it takes down trees that are along, especially the river banks where the water, you know, it's heavy rooted area. And those are the types of things I'm seeing. And there's many problems that go along with that. 
with especially the business that I have, because when you are putting people out in watercrafts on the water, uh, of course I don't do it during the flooding, but because the weather has increased uh, to the point where at one time I was open on Memorial Weekend, then later it became a couple more weeks and then a few more weeks and then it came into June before you could actually get open and have people go paddle down the river in safety. Mm-hmm. As the, the flooding happens, of course, it widens the river and it washes underneath the roots of those trees that are holding the banks of the river and then, of course, the trees come down and so that's causing danger, but there's a lot of pollution that's caused, too, with the severe weather, because you can have um, a lot of heavy silt coming down the, the waterways, you've got trees, you've got garbage, um, and then as the waters dissipate and recede, you've got a lot of standing water, and then the standing water also can pose a problem when it comes to um, the safety of others because it can become contaminated. Uh-huh. And I imagine yeah. it's a good breeding ground for mosquitoes, too, huh? Yes, we do have um, <clears throat> a huge population of those. And when you get out in the water, Dan, too, you don't have as many of the insects because, you know, you've got all those fish that are enjoying eating those insects. So, so they're kind of smart. They, they try to stay away from you when you're out on your canoe or kayak. If a tree comes down, uh, somebody's got to uh, saw it up or it'll block the river. Is, is, that, is the river narrow enough in places where a tree can actually impede uh, a canoe or kayak from going down? It is. And it, because <clears throat> of the... Uh, the way the river system is running, there's a lot of turns and points that you'll be going north one time and east another time and west another time. And so some of those uh, passages are narrow and it widens up when the flood comes and then a large tree will come down. Is not something that we deal with in a consistent basis because usually the river is wide enough that you can get around a fallen tree. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of portaging. Mm-hmm. But still is a hazard because if you are not an experienced canoeist or kayaker, the current, if it's up at all, can push you into a tree or a log. And, of course, that's a very dangerous situation. So I tell everyone to make sure you watch very closely where you're going and do not ever get caught up along a tree. And remember that a life is much more important than a canoe or a kayak. Yeah. So do not get caught between those. But again, those are the reasons as a business owner, you really are concerned about these severe weather events and how they are changing and what kind of um, materials even have floated under the water. Because if you are out to enjoy any of the waterways uh, in Wisconsin or in Juneau County, you want to get out and enjoy that water possibly. You know, you might want to swim, float around on a a raft even while you're out canoeing, and you do not want anyone to get hurt with what could be under the water that has been washed down in this severe flooding. Mm -hmm. This year starting out fairly dry. Let's hope that it um, doesn't bring us some floods this summer. Well, I had one opportunity to um, save some uh, farm animals. Oh, really? I was, yeah, I was going down the river, just checking it out after some very high water and some very heavy rains, and I passed a farmland, um, a field where the, the cattle had been grazing, and of course there was a fence and everything, but this whole entire side of the bank washed out mm-hmm. and mother cow and calf were washed under the fence out into the river and down the bank oh boy and it was so steep there was no way they could get out and because of the weight um of the um, mother cow of course they were stuck in the mud mm-hmm. and so they, they would have you know perished at that point if i just had not been going down the river that day so i felt very fortunate that i was able to get a hold of the farmer and they were able to, you know, get their cattle back. Yeah. But that's another danger. You never know. And 
on some of the property and, and mine in particular that I have along the river in a couple different locations. Uh, I have lost a great amount of land. Um, I've lost two ponds from one of the properties and there's one pond left and that's probably going to go in a year or two if the flooding continues the way it's been. And so then that land and that debris that go with it pile up somewhere else. Some yeah. of that closure uh, and it, it impedes the travel on the river and then some of it um, floats up onto other people's property and causes the property owners to have uh, issues. And I think of the economic impact that all of this has. If I had 105 days of having a business open and now I'm possibly down to 84 days of having a business, not only does that affect me, but it affects the area businesses because as you well know, when money is spent in an area, it filters down approximately seven times in an area. Sure. And so there's, you know, less time at a restaurant, less time at a gas station, whatever it might be. And so that definitely does have an impact on uh, our economy in this area. And that's something, that, of course, that we all want to have successful with our economy. And the other thing I think about that, Dan, if I'm not going on too much about this, <laughs> But when a person is thinking about maybe relocating, maybe yeah. for a business, yeah. uh, for, for a farm, for a home, they want to look at property that is safe, is secure, is as danger-free of an area as they can possibly get. So whatever their reason for leisure or building or, or anything, they want something that is safe. Yep. And I think that's what all of us look for. I mean, we cannot control nature, but we can control the effects of it, I believe, if we have adequate planning and if we get together, all of us, we rally together with science, with our leaders, with our companies, with our educators, just like you're doing with your show. Mm-hmm. Well, Educating people mm-hmm. on the part that we can help to prevent uh, our natural lands from destruction. That is um, uh, a good point to to end this on. And I will put you in touch with the folks who are organizing the coalition of uh, businesses and conservation organizations that are doing exactly that. Thanks so much for sharing the, your story and uh, again for sponsoring our show. And we will be talking again um, very soon. I'm sure. I appreciate Dan. And again, you have a wonderful Wisconsin week. Yes, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you're so upbeat. Uh, I, I really like your your um, <laughs> your cheerful attitude. So, well, folks, uh, Barbara Baker, you heard her story. She's the executive director of the Juneau County Visitors Bureau and the president of the Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. Their website is castlerock-petenwell.com, and the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation. Uh, which is um, behind this whole push to look at severe weather events in Wisconsin. Their website is wiwf.org. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Get outside and let us be your guide. Lawrence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for a safe Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 miles of wooded ATV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to hike to, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to the ExploreFlorenceCounty.com lodging, dining, and recreation tabs to plan your trip. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. 
Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales on Highway 33 West in West Bend on the web at cedarlakesales.com. Their launch into summer event is going on, and uh, you can get uh, in on seminars and giveaways, and they're offering uh, free U.S. Coast Guard vessel checks on April 30th. So you can check that out. Check their website and Facebook page for details. We're also brought to you by Remy Battery, family-owned and operated since 1931, serving Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. Let's start something. RemyBattery.com. By the Wisconsin Wildlife Federation, grassroots hunting and angling conservationists dedicated to future of fish, wildlife, clean water, and healthy habitat. WIWF.org. And by the Castle Rock, Pete and Well Lakes Association. 60 square miles of fun on the water. CastleRock-PeteandWell.com. And don't forget, Outdoor Wisconsin is available on MilwaukeePBS.org. And Deer Hunt Wisconsin, our TV show on deer hunting every year on our YouTube channel, Deer Hunt Wisconsin. Our uh, radio show that you hear right now is online all the time for you at lake-link.com. Go to their outdoor radio page. You can listen to that. And then uh, follow Dan on social media at Dan Small Outdoors. Follow me at Hardwater Jeff. And the hearings on Monday, make sure you get there if you uh, have anything you want to vote on. And don't complain if you don't vote. Well, I'm Dan Small, here with Jeff Kelm. Get outside this weekend and uh, listen to uh, Warren Nelson singing us off here. And join us again next week for Outdoors Radio.